Hello and welcome to The Check-In for community connection and conversation over the airwaves. Thanks for checking in with us today. So as hundreds of citizens turn out into town squares and streets, even here in mid-Missouri, to call for justice in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, a lot of people are asking, how can this happen? How can police violence and the deaths of black citizens at the hands of police happen over and over again in an American democracy? And before this, we were already in a pandemic that was disproportionately impacting black and Latinx communities, many of whom work through the pandemic as essential workers. For answers, many are asking questions about our systems, how things are working here in America, and many are calling for systemic change from our policing and justice systems to healthcare and education. And a big part of our system is our schools. It all starts with education, how we're trained and how we're treated in our schools. Here on MU's campus, systemic change was called for in the Concerned Student 1950 movement five years ago. And now students at Mizzou and at Rockbridge High School have taken their testimonies of experienced racism to social media. At last night's board meeting for the Columbia Public Schools District, students and community members presented a list of demands to address issues of inequity in our schools. So today we're talking about equity and education. It all starts at our schools. How can we make our schools fairer and safer for all of our students? Our guests today are two women who work on the front lines of these issues within Columbia Public Schools. Carla London is the district's chief equity officer. She spent, she spent 14 years as an educator in both Missouri and Texas. She serves on boards for sev several community organizations, including the Columbia Alliance to Combat Homelessness and the Nora Stewart Early Learning Center. She's also a member of the Boone County Health Department's Health Disparities Action Team. Uh, Carla London, welcome to the check-in. It's so nice to have you here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And we also are speaking today with Anel Witt. Anel directs the district's Multicultural Achievement Committee, or MAC. It works to increase the number of underrepresented students in advanced and accelerated classes, as well as providing mentorship. Before joining CPS, Anel went. Anel Witt spent 25 years in the insurance industry after graduating from law school. Anel Witt, welcome to the check-in. Thank you. Glad to be here. And you also can join us. What is your experience of equity in education? Are you a teacher, a student, a parent? We'd love to hear about your experiences with school and campus. Do you feel our schools and campuses are fair and safe for all students? And if not, how can we get them there? Um, so Anel Wett and Carla London, um, could each of you just start by telling us what you're thinking right now when it comes to kids and how our kids are doing right now, not only during the pandemic, but also um, now that we have this nationwide discourse about racism in our communities. Um, Carla London, why don't you start? Sure. Thank you. I think that's an excellent question. I think our kids are stressed. I mm -hmm. think they're worried. Um, um, they see a whole lot going on around them. So as you mentioned, it's sort of layered. So um, many of our families have faced maybe parents, uh, one or, or both, maybe have lost um, incomes. And so not only am I worried now about what am I going to eat and where am I going to stay, but now there's this um, 
nationwide call to say that there has to be something different. And many of those same students have experienced something in school. So I think there's a lot of fear and concern, but also um, a desire to say, you know, this revolution is really a, a process of a change of heart. So long after the TV cameras and the protests are gone, this is work that can continue. So I think our students are motivated. Our kids are motivated to make those changes. All right. And now, Whit, same question for you. What are you hearing from our kids right now? And how yeah, are they I doing? I, I think I'll echo what uh, Carla said. You know, I've had a unique uh, experience. I have a son home from college. And um, to be really honest, prior to all the things that are going on, I think he's always been pretty conscious. But I have I – have, uh, noticed a increase in his desire to understand truly what's going on from mm-hmm. a political perspective. Um, I've, I'm overhearing conversations that he's having with some of his peers um, since he's home, and this is his home uh, where he grew up. Um, he's been having a lot of communication with a lot of his friends he grew up with, and the conversations are, are uh, not as much about what not only what's going on, but what are we going to do to make systemic change? Mm -hmm. Everything from understanding the importance of their vote. So I think the conscious level of our students, I think there's concern, but I think there's also what I am seeing and what I'm feeling is this, um, this, this internal power of understanding that we have to go beyond just the talking and the protesting, but understanding how we actually infiltrate the mechanism to make systemic change happen. Yes. Uh, Now, Whit, you recently did an interview with KOMU News where you were mentioning systemic change and that it starts with formulating young minds. You're talking about your son. I'm sure that he's been privy to a lot of conversations um, about all of this, you know, growing up, but now he's even more interested. What what role should educators um, have in helping understand race and racism in the U.S., white and all educators in the U.S.? You know, this is what's really interesting. I I am one of the equity trainers for the district, and one of the things I talk a lot about was the fact that um, I think I have somewhat of a unique uh, perspective coming from the corporate world for 25 years and then coming into the education environment. I had an aha moment when I first got into the district where I understood things that I experienced at the corporate level Hmm. and realized we are learning this stuff in the educational environment. And this Hmm. is is an example of what I'm talking about. There would be times that I would, when I first got into the, to the corporate world, I had a manager who told me the most important thing that is that you need to do as a manager is that when you're in a meeting, you should never leave a meeting without your voice being heard. But when I got in the educational environment, a lot of times we, we tell students, no, um, it's not time for your voice or um, you didn't raise your hand. So what we find powerful in the, in the corporate world, we didn't necessarily find powerful in the, um, in the educational world. Another thing that was really interesting to me is that um, this is an example I talk about all the time. So I would be in a meeting in the corporate world, and I would say something. And a second after I would say it, there would be one of my white counterparts, usually a white male, who would say the exact thing I said, maybe change the word, and all of a sudden it's this phenomenal, wonderful, uh, highly uh, intelligent response. (laughs) In the education environment, I noticed that students, I'll observe classes sometimes, and like I always say, this is not 
it's just not for everyone. This doesn't happen every time to everybody. Nothing is all. But oftentimes my experience has been in classroom observing, a, a, a black child or a student of color would say something. Hmm. A couple of seconds later, their white counterpart would say the same thing, change the word, and all of a sudden, the white student is brilliant. And the, and the black or brown child is sitting there, which is feeling the same way I used to feel in the corporate world. Didn't I just say that? Hmm. So point being that I realized we're learning this behavior in our school sometimes, in our education environment, and we have to change that. I hear you. Carrying on. Yeah, we're, we're learning it and maybe even inadvertently teaching it in our schools. Exactly. Uh, Ms. London, do you have a, a comment uh, to add to that at all? Yeah, I would just, you know, I think it's so important for educators, and, and having been one for many years of, of my own experience, I think one of the things that I always share is that your words are so powerful. Um, and they will stay with a child. So if you um, disparage a child uh, long enough, they don't start disliking you. They start disliking themselves. And so our words are very powerful as educators and instructors. And kids process differently. They think differently. Mm-hmm. And Nell uses a term often about uh, mental gymnastics that um, people of color, especially um, females of color, go through. And I remember being a student myself, and sometimes I would be thinking or processing through my answer before I respond because I didn't want it to come out sounding wrong, not realizing that that really is the space for an answer to be incorrect, if ever there was one, right? Because yes. you, can, you can be guided towards the correct answer. Um, and then before I could say something, it, it was um, – a comment would be made that good. I hope nobody had a question about that because that would have been really stupid. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, you're, you're a teacher. How can you say things like that? Um, and so now I will say at the same time, I had some teachers who were very powerful um, and positive role models. So um, as Anel mentioned, it's, it's never an all or nothing model, but I think as educators, it's really imperative that we remember that every word that we say, kids are watching, they're listening, um, and we are, it's going to stay with them. And so we need to make sure that the impact that we have is a positive one. All right. You're listening to KBIA's Noontime Check-In. We're checking in with Columbia Public Schools Chief Equity Officer Carla London, also the Multicultural Achievement Committee Director, and now Witt. Uh, we are talking about how teachers and educators, the role of our educators in teaching equity and empowering all of our students, but you know, there's a role for parents too. Um, Anel and Carlo, we have a, a caller, um, Christine from Columbia, who wants to say something about the role of parents. Christine, thanks for checking in with us. Oh, thank you, thank you so much for this um, show and, and for all your amazing guests. And I, I'm a parent, and um, she's grown now, but we went to Benton Elementary, and I at the time it was 60% black. And we are only about 20% white. And I just felt like they missed the mark. Um, We all missed the opportunity to teach other than a white curriculum, you know, black heritage. I mean, there was so much that they missed by not, you know, addressing their their student um, democracy. Hmm. And uh, I I was very disappointed, and I, you know, naively did what I could. But, boy, if I was a parent today, I'd do a lot more. 
All mm. right. Christine, thanks so much for calling in. If you want to wait, let's get the answer from um, Annel Witt and Carla London. Uh, Ms. London, let's start with you. I mean, wh Why wasn't there the history in the curriculum, do you think? Is this a, a something that you hear from parents? It's something that I hear from parents. It's something that I experienced myself. I think there's a longstanding history, um, of, if you will, of teaching just one historical perspective um, and that that was the, the narrative. Mm -hmm. um, I remember myself being um, in a fourth grade class in social studies and they were showing a film on Africa and the teacher stopped the film and, and looked at me as the only black student in the class and said, is that true? Is that what really happens? <laughs> and I was like, wow. I'm from Columbia, Missouri. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. it was it was a really um, aha moment for me, even as a child, for a couple of reasons that A, we needed to be learning more about everybody's background, but B, why was one voice supposed to, to speak for all? Um, and so I, to Christine's point, I think sometimes that we do miss the mark on um, just that one portion of history. I think our district has done a lot of work over the past couple of years to change that narrative, but that really is a, a, a big miss um, in the educational realm that's been going on for a long time because then you grow up believing that that everything that you read is the way that it was and my only reference to my ancestors was that they were slaves right none of the wonderful things that they um had accomplished and so um that is, is definitely a change that we're making in our district i would love to see across the country well yes we could have oh, an entire go ahead christine yes go ahead well uh, and and are, are you are we addressing the arts the music the food. I mean, there's so, you know, we're missing everything. We've missed so much by not knowing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Christine. I, I appreciate your perspective as a parent. Thanks for calling in. Um, and uh, Anel, did you have anything that you'd like to add to, to you that? Know, I think that? I think what we have to remember, just like a lot of these issues, we talk a lot about this when we're, when we're doing our equity, our equity journey and equity training. See, this, the way we teach, the information that we that we allow into schools is part of a social construct. These are all social constructs. They are intensely created for reasons. And so if you think about, there were choices made about what would be taught in social studies and history and what would not. So that we have to be honest and understand that that was intentional because the folks who, just like the SAT and the ACT scores, test rather, who, who's creating those? So they're creating them for their own perspective and from a perspective of power. Power being I have, the, I have the power and authority to decide what is and what is not. And so until we change those social constructs around the notion of inclus inclusiveness as we look to history of this country, that we are a much stronger, better nation because of it. I use this one example. Why was I 50-something years old before I understood um, Hidden Figures, that movie, Hidden Figures. Why yes. was I 57 years old right. before I even heard of that? Mm -hmm. Imagine for black and brown children if they knew that people who look like them helped send folks to the moon. Yeah. And we talked about these issues with some of our children of, of color around math. Yeah, and you're now starting to sound like um, the uh, Ms. Barbara Harrell, who I hear talking <laughs> on the, the Heritage Trail, um, and and you r really feel that about our own Columbia history, um, which, by the way, is, you know, yes, it's Black history, but it, it's our history. This is the history of Columbia. Yeah. It's all of our history. It should not right. be seg segregated. <laughs> into, this is one history. 
we have to get to the point that we are a stronger nation and people mm. if we understand that this is our history. If we yes. value yes. what we have all brought to the table, we're stronger. Right. We're more li- we're more alike than we are different. There's a power in that, and we take that power away when we don't when we don't recognize that. All right, let me just take a moment to say we're talking about the power of all of our history right now and education and what happens with equity and education. And when you address these things at school the right way, there is a lot of power in that. This is the check-in. You can join the conversation. Um, You know, I need to just spend a couple of minutes unpacking a little bit of last night's board meeting and some things that have come up on like MU campus and also um, Rockbridge High School um, and their Facebook post. I would love to get your feelings and your reaction on that, um, Ms. London and, and both of you, um, were those posts, and, and this kind of came up at the board meeting where there was a student you know, presenting a list of demands, um, largely around equity issues and accountability issues, um, but, but some of it, I think, arising from um, the discussions on these posts. Did that surprise you and, and, and the stories that you're hearing on that Facebook post and, and what would we need to do? What strategies need to happen to address this kind of racism that our students are facing? So um, I'm going to say yes and no. I would love to say yes, that um, the stories were surprising. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily what we would consider commonplace, but at the same time, it, it once is too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think conversation is huge. And I think students feeling comfortable to come forward and say, this is my experience. Um, mm-hmm. And we need to continue having conversations. And the way that we approach our equity work um, in Columbia is really interesting. So it's, it's very easy to, to point fingers, right? And we always say that if you're not in the arena doing the work with us, then, then we acknowledge that you're there. But the, the real work is... Um, what we're doing. It's having um, folks really look at their own socialization. What would lead you to have a conversation like that with a student? And what do you need to do? And what learning do you need to um, ensure that something like that doesn't ever happen again? So I think the work that we started in our district, um, even on an initial basis, now going on eight years ago, that has just continued to grow in our district and become a requirement for teachers to look at themselves, to examine their interactions with students, for students to feel comfortable to come forward and say, hey, this has been my experience. This is the impact that it had on me. And for folks to learn how to work together to compound the, um, the, the, the positive from, from whatever can come from a conversation. I think that's the direction that we are focusing on as a district. So I'm, I'm really excited that students are feeling comfortable to come forward part of growth is listening and learning and not listening to respond, but really listening to hear what other people are saying. And that's how we move to that next level. All right. Ms. London, are there any of the list of demands that that they were bringing to the table that you actually agree with? And a, a key one was the parent advisory councils, um, which just makes you wonder, you know, do you feel like those are necessary? And it's, you know, why would parents feel that they have to have a parent advisory council and sort of special teams to watch out to make sure that kids are treated fairly in our schools um, if they're students of color and and students with disabilities. Um, Do you agree with parents advisory councils? Do you feel like that that's necessary or do you agree with any of the other demands on their list? 
So I have not had a chance to look through the comprehensive list. I will say that I think partnering with parents is always um, a positive for a school district. Again, I think um, when the conversation is constructive uh, and when there really is a desire to move forward together as a team, as a partnership, then I think great things can be accomplished. Okay. Um, Let me just remind our listeners, you're listening to The Check-In on KBIA. We're talking with uh, Columbia Public Schools Chief Equity Officer Carla London and also the MAC Scholars Director, Anel Witt. We're talking about equity in education. Um, And let's, uh, Ms. Witt and Ms. London, let's take a caller, too. We have actually invited A.J. Foster to join this discussion. Um, A.J. has been the organizer behind the hashtag Black at Mizzou Twitter feeds that have really revealed the experiences of MU students and racism. A.J. Foster, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Can you just let us know, and we've also got Ms. Witt and Ms. London on the line as well. They're addressing a lot of these issues at uh, the um, Columbia Public Schools level. But A.J., how did uh, the hashtag Black at Mizzou feed come about? Um, honestly, you know, it was really just a way for um, for us to give, like, Black students at Mizzou, like, a voice, okay. you know? Um, usually we have these conversations, we share these stories at parties, converse, um, conversations, org meetings, just we share them only amongst ourselves. And yes. so, like I've said before to other people, um, there's a sense of students of color, specifically Black students, bonding through trauma um and this is seen across history you know and so i was thinking you know everything that's going on around us there's so many different institutions and systems that perpetuate racism and it's not just law enforcement right it's not just the prison industrial complex it's not just the military industrial complex, it's our education systems, it's our schools, um, it's our school districts. And so um, I think that's kind of like where it came from. And, and it kind of just took off from there. Once alumni started tweeting about it, once other people, other non-black people started tweeting about it. I think you're right. There there seems to have been something very powerful about uh, administrators, teachers, faculty, students, and, and uh, the larger community listening into these discussions between you, um, which kind of has a power that we don't get um, in other uh-huh. spaces. Um, let me ask you, um, AJ, you are a majoring in black studies, if I have this correctly, but with a double minor in psychology and criminal and juvenile justice. So you are very quickly becoming an expert in all of the above, basically, that that we can talk to. What is there mm-hmm. something that you may have not had a chance to think about kind of what to do next, but is there something mm-hmm. that you would love to see and that some of your um, people that are weighing in on this Twitter feed do you know what, what you would like to see addressed at Mizzou sooner rather than later? What would you like to see come out of this? Yeah, um, so definitely first point is, um, yes, you were definitely right about like my majors and minors. Um, but to that, just kind of recognizing that nobody is ever an expert, right? Um, it doesn't matter what you major and minor and what your identities are. Um, nobody's experience is like anybody else's, whatever identities you hold. 
uh, whether that be salient or non-salient. Um, but to the second part, um, you're right. I haven't given it thought after, but things that I've been working on since then is meeting with administration um, and holding them accountable. Mm-hmm. We've had different organizers for as early as 1968 with um, the Legion of Black Collegians, which is our Black student government at Mizzou. Yes. Um, they've had a list of demands presented since 1969. And so, and those demands haven't even been met yet. And that was over 50 years ago. And then you have another list that comes out in 2014, a call to action. Then you have another list, a list of demands from CS1950 in fall of uh, 2015. And so it's really just about why aren't demands being met to accommodate black students? Okay. Why do we continue to have the same conversations and these same meetings, these same meetings over and over again with administration um, to no progress? That's and a very, so, yeah, those are very good so, questions. Go ahead. Yeah. Why is there no progress being made? Um, when will progress start to be made? And how how do we even begin to go there? Because there's no sense of trust between black students and administration anymore. All right. And I think that yeah. you know that that's where the issue lies. AJ, let's uh, let's bring in another voice to this. We have a caller, Cash from Jefferson City. We've only got a few seconds here, Cash. But go ahead. What's your point or comment? Yes, ma'am. Um, well, really, one of the things that bothers me the most is I keep hearing people say that it's students or kids or, you know, uh, uh, people or kids are being affected by it. But in reality, I feel like it's being, the attention is being drawn away Mm. from it being, you know, a a black thing. You know, Mm. it's happening to black people, not students or just kids. You know, I feel like the attention is being drawn away from us. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks very much for that point. Um, AJ, uh, did you did you hear that? Do you have a, a reaction to that? Yeah, um, 100% agree. Because you can even go through the hashtag and see the first night we started it, the conversation quickly began to be about students of color. Mm-hmm. And this isn't about students of color. This is about black students. And I think that's where the issue also lies is that administration and a lot of people in our world tend to lump us all together when there's anti-blackness in every single community and not just in white spaces we bond over anti we we bond over stories of anti-blackness in so many different other spaces that we occupy and so i think that also becomes the issue is that administration tends to be like okay well we're going to have conversations about diversity and inclusion Okay, but what about black diversity? What about black exactly. Because right. that's where the issue is. Um, so I yeah. 100% agree. Okay, thank you, Cash, for calling from Jeff City. Uh, we appreciate your comment. Check in with us again oh, sometime and take care. Um, and AJ Foster, thank you so much for joining us. We're unfortunately out of time, but you raised some questions. You've got the conversation started. And I hope that a lot of the questions and the issues you're raising will continue here on the check-in on KBIA, but also everywhere on our campus. Mm-hmm. And in our community. So thanks so much for what you're doing. Um, let me, um, in our last couple of minutes, go back to Carla London and Anel Witt. Can you just give us 
your 10 second, and I hate to do this to you, but your very, very quick reaction <laughs> for AJ and others on what you've heard and what we should all keep in mind as we go forward right now. Um, in, in 10 seconds or less, I think AJ <laughs> um, hit it on the head. I think um, that a lot of the issue, it's easy to say, oh, I'm so sorry, or that's a shame and sort of lump things together so that we can quote unquote move forward. But a lot of the issue is blackness living in that space. That's not something, that's not an identity that I can turn on or turn off in every space I go into. It is the first thing people see and it has to be acknowledged. Thank you so much. And Anel Witt? I mean, I would, I would echo exactly what Carla said, you know, it's, it's, it's more comfortable for folks to talk about it as students or as students of color. It gets on gets uncomfortable when we get specifically when we're talking about specific things that are happening to black folks. That gets very difficult because then you've got to start dealing with some real systemic issues going on, specifically as they relate to black folks. All right. So I fully agree. Yes. Okay. Anel Witt and Carla London, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and we're out of time, but we'd love to keep these conversations going. Uh, as we were saying, we've raised some questions here. We'll keep going. That's it for today's check-in. Thanks again, Carla London and Anel Witt. Also, thanks to AJ Foster for joining us today. Uh, thank you also for checking in. We'll be back here tomorrow, same time, same place. Until then, I'm Janet Saidi. Stay well and stay in touch.